0: Yeah, they're, how cute. Um, loving the energy in the room. So glad that you all are here with us on this last uh, Sunday of the year to celebrate. Um, so we've been in this Advent series in this season called um, uh, Those Who Dream. And as I prepared for this Christmas message, I just couldn't help but stop thinking about all the dreams in my own life that have been like dashed um, or shattered, but then also the, all the dreams in my life that like far exceeded expectation or what I could have ever imagined for myself. How many of you feel that? Do you have things that you, you carry in this space, right, uh, about our dreams? Jesus tells this really beautiful parable about a shepherd leaving 99 sheep to go find the one. And I, in many ways, for most of my life, have felt like the one. Um, and eventually it felt like the 99 chased the one away. It wasn't that I wandered away. It was that I was chased out. It, was that it wasn't safe. It was that sheep had some sharp teeth. And, and I had to go. And in 2015, um, that's exactly what I did. I wandered away from the 99, the church I was pastoring in Kentucky, um, where I'd been for two years. People always think I'm from Kentucky. It's very clear. I'm not I'm, To be very clear, I'm not from the South. I'm from Chicago originally. But because I always talk about my time in Kentucky, people often think I'm from there. Nothing's um, anything wrong with the South. We love it. Rachel, we love you. Um, <laughs> thankfully, there, there was this shepherd that found me as I wandered into her care in 2015. Her name was Reverend Lisa Batten. Uh, and she, in many ways, w- welcomed me, this sort of lone sheep, wandering, lost, not knowing where to go after I deconstructed my faith and not sure what I believed anymore or if I could ever be a part of the church or if I was going to be able to be a pastor anymore, which was the thing I had dreamed about my entire life. She welcomed me, and she loved me into a space that I did not know I needed quite yet. She was patient with me, and she was kind with me, Lisa journeyed with me as I deconstructed my faith and as I reconstructed it. um, She eventually encouraged me to go back to school and get an education instead of an indoctrination that I had gotten in my bachelor's. She helped shepherd me through a process of being reordained because my former faith tradition stripped me of my ordination when I came out. She journeyed with me through a lot, and at my reordination service in 2019, she gifted me with this prayer card and these beads, Uh, and you should be able to see them behind me as well, since I know this is so small, and folks online might not be able to see them. So this little prayer beads, uh, this card explains what this is. She said, "'I started this prayer bead the day I met you. The large bead at the end is the beginning, a reminder to pray for you. The next beads were added after uh, congregations or experiences we shared. The silver bead, when you started seminary,' she says, "'Believe.'" The six colorful beads are the, the I added each time we met while you were in seminary. The purple for your first church appointment are higher. The brass flower for your ordination. I hope these prayer beads help you, sustain you, remind you that you are God's beloved, Lisa. I was dazed and confused. I was battered and bruised from my former faith tradition, and she helped me put it all back together because she dreamed and pondered on a new life for me that I could not yet imagine for myself. But she saw a journey and a road ahead of me that I was too dazed to see, and she prayed for me, and she loved me into the existence, into that path. She she wondered, I'm sure, many days, where that journey would end, how that would look i wondered but that prayer bead at the end of that long journey when i got reordained when i got reordained was just this moment of a reminder that like no matter how many times sometimes i felt alone i wasn't she was there she was praying for me and i didn't even know she was praying for me she was being intentional about putting this beaded thing together prayer bead to remind me at the end of this journey that she had journeyed with me that she loved me and that she believed that there was something new for me at the end of this in a similar way, I wonder if those who gathered around the manger after Christ's birth prayed for him. I wonder what they imagined his life would be, of what Jesus would become. You know, the shepherds, they were visited by an angel who made them aware of Jesus' birth. We we're familiar with this statement in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill to all of mankind. This is what the angels declare before the shepherds when they find out that Christ the Lord has been born. Now, upon hearing this, they, 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 they of course probably had a lot of expectations about what this would mean. I mean, at this time in history, the Messiah, in many people's minds, would be this great ruler, this great warrior, this great king who would rise up, and perhaps he would overthrow the powers that be at the time, and he would bring peace to the earth. But we really realize that it's very possible that these shepherds thought that he would bring peace through power and war. For those, that's all that most probably could have imagined at that time. They imagined probably that this king, Jesus, who had been born, he would rise up and he would just be more powerful, more stronger, have better weapons, better at oppressing than their oppressors. I doubt they fully imagined that he would be one who would liberate through love. Or maybe they did. Maybe they did. I think we can't miss it today that the Jewish people, they were under Roman occupation. The Romans controlled Jewish power and influence to, to ensure that they could not rise up and overthrow Roman power and rule. Well, similar today, the state of Israel occupies the Holy Land and it manages Palestinian, Christian, and Muslim power and influence to ensure that they cannot overthrow. I can't miss the juxtaposition of the how our world works and thinks that somehow war and violence somehow works and will be a solution, and it has never. Dr. King says that violence begets violence. We know this is a sick cycle, so I have to ask myself, I wonder if these shepherds were smart enough to realize that. I wonder if they were sitting there dreaming, this doesn't seem to work, these endless wars and the, the, the exchange of power and who's going to oppress who and who's going to keep who in check because we can't seem to do anything equitable or share in this world. I wonder if they began to imagine a world where there was a dreamer who would lead with love and empathy and compassion and equity and nonviolence and grace. I wonder if the shepherds began to imagine this kind of world where it was led by a king who liberated with love. When the shepherds received this message, they didn't keep it to themselves. They went and they rushed to the side of Mary and Joseph where this baby was born. And this is what it says in verse 15. It says, They left running and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met that the angels had, what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the shepherds were impressed. This is the part I want you to catch. But Mary... Kept all these things to herself, pondering them in her heart what they might mean. I think it's intriguing that while the while while the shepherds are like losing their ever living minds, they're like, "You're never gonna believe what happened!" And they're trying to get all the Facebook video footage they can of it, and they're posting it all over socials, and everyone is resharing it, and this is amazing, and everyone needs to know Mary's there. And I imagine her just holding this precious divine flesh and just going, what in the world did I get myself into? (laughs) What in the world is before me? How will I protect this child in this world? How will I raise this child? Why me? And my husband Joseph, he couldn't even seem to find us a place to have a proper birth for this child tonight. (laughs) He had one task, one task. I carried this thing nine months. Find me a place to lay a nest. Honestly, I don't understand. I'm sure she's just like this. Like I'm gonna just. I'm not gonna get angry. This is Jesus. I can't get angry in front of Jesus. I'm not gonna lose it on Joseph in front of Jesus. And I'll wait until he falls asleep in the shepherd's leave, and then I'm gonna really let him have it. And we wonder where Joseph went. We don't know. We don't. We don't hear much of Joseph. Eventually, I don't know. Something might have gone down there. Um, There's there's this tension, right, that, that she's experiencing in her own soul. She's pondering on this. Mary keeps these things to herself. I imagine she's dreaming of this child that she's delivered that will soon deliver her. Mary, did you know, I doubt she knew all that was ahead for her son's life. I doubt that she could have ever imagined all that God had What she was holding in her hands exceeded all that she could have imagined for herself or her child in that moment. I'm sure it overwhelmed her. Did she realize that the Lord had placed inside of her would come to shape the earth? I doubt it. Many mothers, many parents, they never quite know what their children would do, but they have a vision, they have a dream, they have a hope. I know for my mother, when I came out, it was hard because it it meant that there were certain dreams for my life that she wasn't going to see anymore, and that was probably the hardest part was letting go of certain dreams she had for me and embracing the dreams that I believed God was revealing to me. Is she considering how drastically her life is about to change? Is she pondering if she can really trust a God who couldn't even provide a proper place for a child to be born? Is she wondering how she can protect this child or how her and Joseph can protect this child when they couldn't even seem to secure the right spot, a safe spot, a normal inn? Is she questioning her own mental health? Is she wondering... Am I losing my mind by thinking that the angel appeared to me and this is the Son of God? Is she wondering if her family will come around and finally accept her and Joseph and embrace this child they've had out of wedlock? Is she, like every parent, pondering the future of her child? Is she carefully considering the trials he will face and the goodness he will bring to the the peace of the earth? I don't know. But she seems to have a very different reaction to Jesus' birth than everyone else. She holds them close to her heart, scriptures tell us, and she ponders them. Like the shepherds and Mary, I want to ask this morning, what dreams, both hopeful and broken, do we carry with us to the manger today? Imagine the hopeful or broken dreams of each character of this Christmas story, whether it's Mary or whether it's Joseph or whether it's the shepherds. How did Christ's birth sort of disrupt and fulfill and sustain each of their dreams in new ways, in unexpected ways, They each reacted differently to his birth, and his birth doesn't exactly align perfectly with any of their dreams for their lives, I'm sure. It's sort of, if anything, disrupted at all, which is a series we'll be doing in the new year. Disruption. You see, the circumstances around Jesus' birth were anything but dreamy. I mean, just think about this for me with a moment, okay? We've heard this story many times, but I want you to just go with me. They're not anywhere near their home because they had to travel for a census. If I was married, I'd be a little tick. I'd be like, God if you can literally put the son of God inside of me, you could have just kept it in there a little bit longer until we got home from this census because I'm out of town, I'm riding on some weird animal, and I'm far from home and my family and our safety net, and we're far from anything and anybody that we know, and now this child has come, and we we are not prepared for this. We have nowhere to go or to stay. God, why did you have to do this now? I don't know about you, but that's, that's been my question all throughout my life. It's like, God, why now? Why this way? And this doesn't make any sense, and this is so frustrating. Like, you're all powerful. Did you have to do this now? Did you have to make this harder? This thing is already hard, even harder? They can't seem to probably, I imagine, grapple with the frustration that this is already a hard thing that God seemed could have made it easier, but doesn't seem to. I wonder if they wondered if. Maybe God could have appeared to their family members the same way that God appeared to Mary and Joseph and her sister. I wonder if it was like, God, could, couldn't you appear to everybody? Like could, when we were all together for Hanukkah, could you, could you have just appeared to all everybody so that everybody was on the same page and we all knew and understand so that we didn't have to deal with rejection because we had this child out of wedlock and nobody thinks and believes us with the story that we're telling them? Like, couldn't you have made this easier on us? I mean, now, now, that, now, now we're all so isolated and alone, and our family doesn't understand us, and we, we feel like there's this, there's, this, there's this separation. Have you ever felt like that with your family members when you get together at the holidays? Like, you don't feel fully loved because you don't feel fully known or seen because there's parts of yourself that they just don't understand, and you can't even articulate. I think many of us in this space know that feeling. Mary and Joseph, I think, knew the feeling, and they knew the frustration. And yet... Amid the unideal circumstances, it seems that Mary still senses that God is still with them. It's, she still senses that perhaps, maybe in things that are beyond our understanding, she, perhaps she senses that God is still with them through the presence of the shepherds who show up in the absence of a family, perhaps being a chosen family. She senses perhaps God in the star in the sky that the shepherds guide, guided them to find her. Perhaps she senses God with her in the animals keeping them company. Perhaps, sometimes, I know for myself, you look into the eyes of an animal and there's just such pure innocence and sweetness. Perhaps the eyes of an animal was more comforting than the judgmental eyes of family. Or perhaps the most that so she pondered in her heart were that the eyes of God cradled in her arms looking into her eyes that as she looked into the eyes of Jesus, it penetrated her soul, and she realized, wow, I am so not alone. I literally have God cradled within me. But Mary kept all these things to herself, scriptures tell us. She pondered them in her heart. You know, behind every movement, both social and personal, there's always a dream or a dreamer. Many of us are probably familiar with the MLK, I Have a Dream speech, right? The March on Washington, um, Austin and I recently watched a movie called Rustin on uh, Netflix. Highly recommended. If you got some free time this, uh, this break, I highly recommend you watch it. It highlights the story of Bernard Rustin, a gay black man who was at the forefront of dreaming a more equitable world for all. You laughing at my joke or is there something on the screen? Okay, no. Um, good. I'm like, I love how that landed for like five of you. That was awesome. Um, he had an ear and friendship for MLK, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and it was Rustin's dream to mobilize the largest gathering of people ever on the Lincoln Memorial for a peaceful rally. And he did this in order for there to be a movement towards fair treatment and equal opportunity for black Americans as well as to advocate for the passage of the Civil Rights Act, which was, which was, which was ripe with debate and tension at the time. And the hope was that this, this strong presence and turnout would move senators and those representatives in D.C. to vote in favor of this. So while we are likely most familiar with MLK in this picture behind me, as he gives his speech of I Have a Dream, I want to draw your attention to the man standing right behind him. This is Baynard Rustin. Baynard had a dream to give MLK a platform to cast his dream and vision to America. Behind every movement, there is a dreamer. Baynard dreamt for MLK. So MLK could dream for us. When he said in his I have a dream speech, Dr. King said, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low and every rough place will be made plain. The crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. You see, reality is when MLK and Baynard Rustin did not see the full vision of everything that MLK shared in his I Have a Dream speech, they did not live to see it all play out. But you know what? If they had, their dream would have been too small. The dream needed to exceed their time and their generation, their point in history, because it took generations to get us to where we were, to the levels of oppression and separation and segregation, and it would take generations. It will take this stinking generation to continue to undo what has been done. If they only had a dream of a world that they could build in their lifetime, it would have been too small. It needed to exceed their lifetime It needed to exceed their abilities, and it needed to exceed even their imagination. So similarly, I imagine Mary holding her son from the cradle on on Christmas to the cross on Calvary, dreaming of all that he would do, dreaming and praying over his life and the impact he would have far beyond what her eyes could ever even witness. I imagine Mary on that first Christmas was so overwhelmed by the thought that all she could do on that first Christmas was just keep all of these things to herself and ponder them in her heart, what they might mean. So, church, I ask you this morning what do you find yourself pondering and dreaming about these days? Do they exceed your lifetime? Do they exceed your abilities, your expectations, your hopes? They should. They should. We must dream big. We must imagine big, and we must realize that it is not just up to us, but it is up to all of us. Some of us are dreaming for others to fulfill our dream, and some of us are dreaming things that we will fulfill. There were many things that Mary saw for Jesus, and I doubt she ever foresaw that he would die before her. And I know we sit on Christmas, not on Easter today. But I think it would be an injustice to not name the reality that so often our dreams don't meet our expectations. But our dreams exceed us and exceed our hopes for ourselves. And it was Mary's dream and Jesus' dream for the world that exceeded her. And she, I imagine, would be amazed today to see all That her womb bore into the world the love and change that she brought through this little divine flesh that she nurtured and loved and so i want to ask you what do you find yourself pondering and dreaming about these days change both personally and socially it always starts with a dream or a dreamer and someone imagines something and then they take the next steps then they cast a vision There's a beautiful quote by Dr. Marsha Y. Riggs. She said, I dream of a loving world where we see each other with God's eyes. I dream of a resourceful world where we cherish unique gift of each other. I dream of a hopeful world where we recognize the power of God's grace to transform and make new. I dream of peace. I find myself dreaming of this church and what's next for us. I find myself dreaming of a church with more age diversity. I find myself dreaming of a church in a space where our kids' stuff is more accessible to handicapped children. I imagine and dream of a church where this stage is accessible to those who are differently abled or in a wheelchair. I dream of a church where we have an abundance or even just a small abundance over what we need of income so that we can be generous to meet the needs of migrants and refugees flooding into our city who are in need of long-term meaningful difference. I I dream of a church that can partner with the YWCA that's literally in this very same building next door to serve the women who are seeking refuge and new beginnings after experiencing abusive life situations. I dream. I dream of what we can do as a church, of what difference we can make. And I want to ask you today, how do you see that God has uniquely positioned us as a church to serve our community? And what would it look like for us to do that or more of that in the next five years? i ask you that again. How has God uniquely positioned us as a church to serve our community? And what would it look like to do more of that in the next five years? Will you dream with me this morning? A few weeks ago, Reverend Vinita shared that in, in the new year, we'll be having listening sessions and dreaming sessions of imagining what we could be as a church. But I want us to start with that today. I want us to dream of what it would look like to usher in the next 500 years of Christianity and to usher in a more just and generous expression of the Christian faith. Our children are going to be joining us and you have post-it notes and pens near you, I want you to dream with me. What do you imagine our church doing in the next five years? If you could dream or imagine anything, if there, was, there, 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 was, there were no restrictions, write it down on that post-it note because we're, this is going to be our first group dreaming session <laughs> as we head into the next year. And we're going to take those things you share, we're going to ponder them on our heart, we're going to hold them close, we're going to pray on them, we're going to ask God what it is he may have us to do. So our kids are going to come. They're going to intermingle with us. They're going to go back to their family because they're going to share in communion with us as one big family. But as you do that, take the next few moments, dream on your Post-it notes, and then we'll come back, and I'll tell you what I want you to do with them in a few moments. So dream on your Post-it notes and pens. You may need to share. come get communion and they'll put the post-it notes when they come up for communion yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm well not yet I'm gonna I'll cue communion first you don't don't play yet um, to take it but they're not when they need it you'll, you'll want to play the first half of this when they're coming forward to take communion yeah so just kind of just vamp for a moment yeah just wait testing can you testing one two am I still on can you great Okay, would you take 30 more seconds, whatever else you have, finish writing that. In just a few moments, um, I'm going to invite everyone to come forward. We're going to invite you to come and receive communion. Uh, We have the bread is gluten-free, and the juice is in solidarity with those who are abstaining from alcohol, as well as so our children can participate in this holy act of communion. As you come forward and receive communion, we invite you to put your post-it notes uh, here on these signs that say dream. For those who are in the balcony, I invite you to leave your post-it notes on that little table right there. Can you wave? There we go. So everyone in your balcony can see. Put your post-it notes on that table when you receive communion as well. And for those who are online, we invite you to leave your dreams in the comments and we'll be sure to gather and collect those. You hear the sounds? The sounds of rustling children? It was not a silent night. It was not a silent night. And so it will not be a silent night today or morning. As we come for communion, we will hear the rustling and bustling of the lived reality of the world that it was not what people expected on that first Christmas. It was loud. It was messy. It was not ideal. But it was true, and it was authentic life. So I invite you. I invite our, our greeters to come. I think that's uh, actually they're not in the space. So I will serve communion, and Natasha will serve communion. We invite you to come. May you receive the body and blood of Christ. And may you hold them, we'll take it all together. If your children can't wait, they can take it, it's fine. Um, We invite you to come and and receive communion and leave your post-it notes. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.